So if you're a male and you'd love to pray with us, we'd love to have you every Tuesday at 6 in the morning. One of the two classes that we have here Sunday nights at 6 p.m. for our adult growth groups is a class That's going wonderful. over the book of Pam, James. do you do saltwater fishing? Of James is one of those books. Actually, oh! You outfish him. And as we're moving on in service this morning, so I know this being uh, the first Sunday in January, but... I really didn't want to preach a New Year's resolution message. I think that's been done over and over and over. But I do want to ask a question. Has there been a moment or an event in your life that has radically changed your life and your conduct? Can you think of anything? Just show of hands. Has there any been a, an event that's radically changed your life? Okay. You know, there's two in my life that uh, radically changed me. Uh, outside of being saved right here at these steps. The first one was April 4th of 2002, where the most beautiful woman in the world decided to say I do and married me. And uh, so from that day forward, for 21 plus years, we've been married. Now there's been some hurdles, you know, that I've had to adjust and correct because she was perfect, I was imperfect, but... That was a moment that changed my life because of being married to my lovely wife, Rebecca. It's, I live in light of the fact that we're one. So what I do affects her, and what she does affects me. And we try to live in a harmonious relationship and remembering our love for one another. There's been a second event in my life that's drastically changed me, even till to the, today as well. And that was in May of 2010 when I was at Fort Dix, New Jersey. And I was going through combat skills training before I deployed to Kuwait. Some of you know this story. I preached out of Psalm 57. Verse number 1, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for under the shadow of thy wings will I take my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. May of 2010 in Fort Dix, I nearly died. And so for those of you that don't know the story... Uh, I just suffice it to say that I was in a rollover training incident where they had the cab of a Humvee on an axle and it literally rotated in a circle. And my Kevlar helmet got stuck on the turret teeth uh, uh, where the gunner sits. And I nearly slapped, snapped my neck. And it completely changed me even to today. Uh, but that day has traumatically changed me. Whereas when me and Rebecca got married in April... There's so much positivity, so much joy, so much excitement. In May of 2010, there is nothing but scars that remain. That's still, that, that I struggle with. Matter of fact, we were uh, going to go to a Columbia missions trip, and one thing that I had to figure out myself is I, I swore I would never get on a plane again. I will never fly ever again. Because the fear of not being in control makes me think back in May of 2010 and when I nearly, literally died. But it came to a realization when I was struggling with this, and it was about a few months back, and I was like, you can't be up here. Really, you just can't be in life telling people, overcome, overcome, and then you don't. And so I committed to overcome and committed to going to this missions trip. But the scars still remain. There are some things that I cannot do, some things that cause me to freeze up. And yet, that's just a part of who I am right now. So I have to make an intentional decision day by day when these moments come to choose whether to live in that anxiety and that fear and that stress or to choose to live in the light of the fact that I'm here for a purpose. 
And so that's just a little bit inside of what I'm struggling with. And so with that, I do want to jump into Romans chapter 6, which will be our text for this morning. And, and this will have a bit of uh, uh, meaning and influence in what I'm going to talk about today. Now, we may have read this passage before and we may have come away with a particular application, but I want to apply it in a way that maybe you have not thought of before. Now, I do believe that with the Bible there is one true interpretation. There's the authorial intent that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a specific group of people during a specific time period, and therefore Paul had a specific message to get across. But... That does not mean that there's only one specific application. Because if there's one interpretation, we can look at that principle and apply it in a various amount of ways. And so I want to read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 real quick. Romans 6, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead free is freed from sin." Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead into, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. and. It's a wonderful beginning and a start in the fact that we just saw Keegan publicly declare his profession of faith in you through believer's baptism, and so we rejoice in that. And Byron and, and Pam have joined the local body of the church here and committed to the Open Doors vision and mission. It's been such a wonderful day so far. We sang some wonderful songs. Hunter had a wonderful special. And so, Lord, uh, today we just pray that you would continue to be pleased in our efforts and worship this morning corporately as we sit here and and discuss your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do illumination and teaching, convicting and encouraging. And that you just use me and every other minister this morning here as well as a servant for the kingdom of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, many people discuss, why did Paul write the book of Romans? Why did Paul write this letter, this 16 chapter letter to Romans? Well, John Walford points out that one purpose is to lay out a detailed explanation of the gospel in which Paul was preaching. Dr. Relay Lopez speaks, uh, discusses that it indicates no one truly knows who planted the church in Rome. No one knows who planted this church. And since these were new converts in that church, Paul set out a detail of the Christian gospel which encompasses justification, sanctification, glorification, and a future for Israel. So, even though no one truly knows who planted the church in Rome, and there were new believers, Paul is trying to lay out this systematic theology for these new Christians. Dr. Tony Evans states that the major purpose is for Paul to declare the constitution of the church, the fundamentals of the faith, and its outworking in the life of the believer. Many consider Romans to be Paul's magnus opus, 
his theological treatise which discusses from book end to book and this thing known as systematic theology discussing the, the fallenness of man, the mercy and the grace of God, the plan of redemption, Christian liberty, like was said earlier with Rene Lopez, justification, sanctification, imputation, glorification, everything. You see, the one thing we can know is the fact that Romans was written to believers. We know that the author intended for the believers to understand and read this. We read this in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And then he goes on in verse number 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken throughout the world. And so this letter is written specifically to believers. The letter is for the Christian to consider not only their past as a sinner and separated from God, but their future with a glorification with God. You see, also, as we talked about last time I was up here, this book really looks at being able to be delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And what I want to look at through Romans chapter 6 is being able to be delivered from the power of sin. But before we actually break down chapter number 6, I want to get this context. And for the context, we need to see why did Paul say what he said here in verse number 1. And so for that, let's jump back a few verses to chapter 5, verse number 18. Paul says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification for life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is saying is here is because of the first rebellion in the Garden of Eden, there became a barrier between man and God. There became a barrier in the sense of man was stained and tainted with that first sin, the first act of disobedience. And because of that, that every single person now is born with a predisposition to choose sin. And it's something we call the sin nature. And the fact of the matter is, you don't have to teach somebody how to lie. You don't have to teach somebody to be selfish. You don't have to teach anybody to worship things over God. Because of the sin nature that's inherent in every created being, unfortunately, from the fall, it is just natural for us in that depraved state. You see, Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 3, 23. It says, all have missed the mark. All have sinned and missed the mark and fall short of the glory of God. That means every person became tainted with this sin once they first choose it. You see, what I like to sort of illustrate real quick this morning is, if you consider us like this glass. So consider this as like our, our body, this our corporal, physical, tangible body. And right now, when we choose to act and we do a particular sin, consider this dirty leaf I picked off the ground. Say this is the sin of lust, right? And so we commit a sin and now it enters into us, in our being. And say, rather than worship God, we're worshiping our career or our status. And so that creeps into us. 
And the more and more we do this, the more and more this sin becomes a part of us. And so when we commit these sins, and when we commit these affronts to God, the sin sort of stays with us regardless of what's going on in our life. Now, I can't fit my hand in here, and I can't reach in to get this leaf out. And as well, these leaves are stuck to the glass to where if I were to lift it upside down, they're going to remain in. There's nothing I can do to get this out. And what I want us to really see, and I want to come back to that here in a little bit, is when we go ahead and we choose to disobey, and we choose to live contrary to the ways of God, in essence, we are bringing this filth into our being, and rather than us being able to reach inside and pull it out, it sort of clings hold on to us. And from when we say one little lie, the second one's a little easier. And then the third one's a little bit easier as well. And on and on. And then what happens is we sort of get numb to sin. We get numb to placing things above God. You see, but what Paul says here, even though we fill ourselves up with this sin, God saw through us and saw what we could become, and He still chose to send the Savior to die the death we deserve to die so that we can have eternal life through Him. And so regardless of how many leaves or how filthy your glass is, that Jesus Christ still died to set you free. Still died to cleanse you. And from that cleansing, you can be cleaned from the inside out. And it wasn't because there was anything good you or I did or anything good you and I could do. It's because of His grace and His love that He sets out this plan of redemption to send Christ as man to die on the cross so that whosoever believeth should have everlasting life. Regardless of how many leaves are in there. Because there was a greatness of sin in the garden, there needed to be a greater grace to overcome it. And that's what Paul is saying here in the end of chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but wherein sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And then we get to chapter 6, verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now again, if we consider the fact that you and I are nothing deserving of salvation, but the fact is matter that Christ, through His mercy, through His grace, decided to save us and offer a plan of redemption, that's grace. And if the grace is greater than our sin... Should we sin more? That way we can get more grace from God? Now there are some people that are thinking this. Matter of fact, if this wasn't a thought in Paul's day, he wouldn't say what he said right here. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There are some people today, even within the church, not necessarily our church per se, but the universal church and the fact that people believe that just live however you want. God died for you, and so you can continue living however way you please. While a Christian can do that, and can stay a child of God, they will reap the consequences of discipline and disobedience. And there is no guarantee that God is going to offer any said grace, because we would be trampling on the blood of Christ that died to set us free from the sin. 
You see, sometimes there are people out here that are like the third soil. We spoke the other day that the third soil is so infected with the ways of the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that every decision they make is based on what's good for me and my status in this world, let alone what's good for God and my status as an ambassador for Him and His kingdom. There are so many people that choose the world over God and continuing in sin in hopes that grace may abound. But what's not realized until after the fact when we're continuing in this spiral downward is, is that somewhere along the line we get to the point to where apathy sets in. To the point where we feel like there's no purpose. We just fell off the track somewhere. We have no joy, no happiness. And we're wondering what happened. And I speak to a lot of people like that. I just, I'm just cruising. I lost my zeal. One of the first questions I ask him is, how is your relationship with Christ? And every single time I'm told, I'm not praying as much as I should. I'm not reading as much as I should. In essence, they're not in fellowship with God, with Jesus Christ. And inevitably, the longer we go in separation from fellowship, the harder it is for us to bring ourselves back. God's always there waiting with open arms. But then we expect the grace of God to come and be granted to us when we're living in blatant, open disobedience. So what happens? Should this person continue in this track? You see, again, it's, it's not until later on we get this idea that we figure out something's not right. Life has just went off the rails. I'm depressed I'm battling with anxiety. I don't even want to go to church anymore. And it's because our glass is filled with leaves and dirt. And it's saturating the essence inside of us. But it's okay. God's grace will bring me back, right? So I can keep this way. Well, Paul goes on to say in verse 2 through 10, he says, Shall we continue in sin? He says, God forbid. Absolutely not. How? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are baptized with him by baptism into his death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old man, that sin nature, is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died once unto sin once, but in that he lived, he liveth unto God. You see, Paul answers the question. He's like, okay, you know, I'll just continue living this way. He says, absolutely not. He asks that rhetorical question. How? How, if we've been, if we're dead in sin, dead from sin, dead from being enslaved to sin, how can we still live in it? You see, it brings the idea that there's a choice. Because if we're dead to sin then you have to very intentionally choose to still live in sin. You have to make a conscious choice to do it. And when we do that, 
Are we not undervaluing the death of Jesus Christ that freed us from the very thing we're trying to be entangled back in? Jesus Christ came so that not only we could have life, but abundant life. Before Christ, like Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned, all have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. But now, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the belief in Him as our Savior and the fact that our old man was crucified with Him, now we have the ability to live in this new life. And since it's being illustrated in the fact that as Christ rose, we rise too. So the same power that rose Christ from the grave is the same power that lies within the Christian to live unto God. But it has to be an active choice that you and I are making. Paul says it like this when he wrote to the Corinthian church. And if anybody knows about the Corinthian church, they know that it was a bunch of carnal, worldly, immature Christians. But he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's as if our mind changes, our thoughts change, our behaviors, our burdens are lifted. It's as if you take a four-cylinder engine that has leaky head gaskets, and it's, it's sputtering, it's running hot, you take out that old engine, our old sin nature, and we replace it with a supercharged LS7. It should be that dramatic of a difference. Why should it be that dramatic of a difference? Because of the cross. When Pastor Ken preached that Lord's Supper message, remember, we forget about the cross. And that's so easy for us today in this age because... We weren't around during crucifixions. We weren't around to see these things happen. We weren't around to see our Lord and Savior be beaten and scourged and mocked and ridiculed and His beard plucked out and put on the cross. We weren't around to see that. But by faith, we believe He did that for us through love. And it's because of that, that should drive us to want to choose not to sin. To want to choose to live in this new life that we have been given. Paul says in verse number 6 that Jesus Christ died so that we would not be slaves to our sin. You see, I've had the pleasure to try to minister to drug, drug addicts numerous times and, and those addicted to meth. And what's interesting is the fact that those that are addicted to drugs, they are bound by the drug they're abusing. Once that high comes down, they got to find some other way to get their next fix, their next high, their next whatever. And it's not until they go through detox and they get it completely out of their system and they go through a rehab facility and they're able to flush it out of our, their system, do they finally get freed from the enslavement that that drug once had on them. But it's a long process to get all those drugs out. But once they're going through detox and, and they're no longer addicted, they're still heavily influenced. There's still an influence around them. That's why a lot of times they have to go to constant meetings to go ahead and be around people that have overcome similar things. And they make sure that they're not around certain areas and certain people that would give them the propensity 
to use again. Because they're going to get back enslaved to the drugs a second time or a third time or whatever. So they're free, but they still have the influence around them. And they have to live intentionally and consciously to not succumb to its temptations. But Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died to buy our freedom. He died to give us everlasting life, to be adopted into the family of God, to have all the spiritual blessings Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 through 11 speaks of. But he also died to give you freedom from the enslavement of the sinful tendencies that were brought in from the fall of the garden. But just like that meth addict that is freed from the drugs in his system, he's still influenced. And so like that drug addict, we have to also make a conscious decision and choice. Do we want to succumb to the influences around us and go back into the enslavement of the sin that we were trapped in before? Or do we want to try day by day, make a conscious decision to live for Christ in light of the cross? If we can keep the cross in our focus every single day, it will change us. It will change us. If we see the depth of love, the depth of grace, the amount of blood that was shed for us, how can we live that same old way in the same self? You see, like that glass and the leaves, that sin saturates and it tries to cling on. But Jesus Christ gives us the freedom but like I said, so many times a Christian will be so engrossed and bound in the sins, in the struggles, and then they become depressed. And anxiety builds up. Or suicidal ideations come up. And then people are no longer plugging into the church. They're no longer serving. They distance themselves. You haven't seen them in a long while. You see, even studies show that the lack of spiritual involvement is detrimental to one's health. You see, the National Institutes of Health has a study that says the faith-based spiritual intervention for persons with depression, preliminary evidence from a pilot study, that's a mouthful, from 2023 reveals that the relationship between religiosity and improved mental health have demonstrated that individuals who are more religiously engaged tend to experience fewer symptoms of depression, and may recover more quickly from depressive disorders than those who are less religiously involved. This is what the Bible says. That if we have a vibrant, active faith in life and fellowship with Christ, and we abide in Christ and the vine, we won't struggle with these things. Another study from National Institutes of Health, that's titled Religious and Spiritual Factors in Depression, says... Out of 444 total studies, 61% found less depression, faster recovery from depression, or a reduction in depressive symptoms in response to spiritual involvement. goes on to say, spiritual involvement has been associated with positive emotions, such as greater life satisfaction, well-being, hope, optimism, and meaning and purpose in life, feelings which help to neutralize the negative emotions that underlie depression and suicide. And then finally, this study reports that besides helping people to cope better with life stressors, spiritual involvement may reduce the likelihood that stressors will happen in the first place. 
Daily decisions that involve choices on how to treat others, generosity, altruism, gratefulness, or forgiveness. Lifestyle practices such as marital fidelity, delinquency or crime, and school performance and health behaviors, use of alcohol, use of drugs, and disease prevention. It may influence psychosocial and physical stressors that a person has to deal with. In other words, the more we abide in the vine, the more healthy we are. And that's something that our sin, our self, our pleasure, the world wants to try to pry between us and Christ. Is the fact that sin for a season is great for life, but it's a lie. You see, if you're a Christian, you can definitely overcome all these struggles, the tendency of sin, finding yourself being apathetic or feeling like you're purposeless or worse. You can overcome if you want to. That's the question. Do we want to? And only you can really answer that question. It's possible, Paul says in verse number 7, because he that is dead is freed from sin. Sin no longer has a grip on the Christian. I can't say that enough. And so every time we choose to live in that direction, because we are intentionally and actively choosing it. And so when we find ourselves purposeless and void of meaning or stressed or anxious or whatever, because somewhere we just walked away from God and we're not active in our life. So the question naturally comes, what do we do? And so I think that's what Paul says in Romans 6 verse 11. He says, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is only one remedy that can cure this issue with our struggles. And that remedy is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ for eternal life? And is Jesus Christ for our day-to-day -day relationship in abiding and making the right choices and to live an abundant Christian life in joy? It's only found in Jesus. You see, Paul says likewise. He says likewise in verse 11. So that's interesting because if you were to go back to verse number 10, he says likewise. In that he, Jesus, died. Jesus died unto sin once for all, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, similarly, you've died to sin once for all, that sin nature no longer has a hold of you. Like Jesus liveth unto God, so you too live unto God. It's just like Christ, we have the same power. Now, I've, I've used this analogy before, it's like the Holy Spirit is, is electricity. And we're merely the outlet. And that outlet is not, there's power running through this outlet here on the stage right there. There's power, I can, I can plug something in and it'll work, right? And inside every Christian believer, there's the power to live a victorious Christian life through the Holy Spirit. But if I never plug anything into that outlet, I never get the benefit of the electricity. And if I never connect myself to the Holy Spirit of God and seek to be filled with the Spirit and seek to live in accordance with the Spirit, then I'm never promised to get the power of the Spirit to overcome. That outlet, it, there's nothing wrong with the outlet. We're just not using it. 
There's nothing wrong with the Holy Spirit that resides in every single Christian. We're just not using Him. We're not using the power He gives us. And it's because we're choosing the other way. You see, when Paul says reckon, reckon is an accounting term. I know a lot of financial people and economy, you probably like the word reckon and give an account, stuff like that. I hate reconciling bank statements, but you got to do it. It's just not fun for me, and I always mess up. I'm always missing like $7.38, and I have no idea what that was. I blame it on Rebecca, but it was the woman you gave me, right? And so, but this idea of reckon yourselves means to really just consider. Be attentive and truly consider in the fact three things. Number one, you're dead to sin. You are dead indeed unto sin. Being dead means there's no response. There's no activity. We've seen things that are dead. These leaves up here on this table, they're, they're dead. There's no life in them. They're just going with whatever influences are placed upon them. We are dead unto sin. There are no more any influence that sin can control us with. And so if we're tired of it, and we're tired of the routine of having a zeal for God, and then having this valley where we're low and we're depressed, and it's because, honestly, we're choosing it. Because we've forgotten that. And the way to get back in the zeal with God is to go back to that in gratitude and appreciation for what He's done. But not only that, we reckon ourselves dead to sin, but we reckon also that we are alive unto God. Jesus Christ didn't just leave us dead to sin. He didn't just say, okay, you're freed, there you go. No. He freed us, and He gave us the power to live victoriously. You see... Paul says in Colossians 1.13 that a Christian has been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. In other words, it means before we were saved, we were in the kingdom of darkness. We were overcome by the sinfulness of our nature and our predisposition to choose evil and to worship things over God. But since we got saved, we have been taken out of that kingdom authority of sin we've been placed in the kingdom authority of God. And the fact that no longer does sin become our master, but now God, Jesus Christ, is our master. So we should seek to serve Him because we are alive in His kingdom. I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says that the weakest saint can experience the power of the deity of the Son of God if he is willing to let go. I'll say that again. The weakest saint can experience the power of the deity of the Son of God if he is willing to let go. So if we're struggling, if we're tired of living the life that we've lived, and we want to get back and have zeal of God, the weakest saint has access to that same power that can put your heart on fire and ch change the world for Christ. If you want to. You see the only other thing really is the fact that not only are we reckon ourselves indeed dead unto sin. When we reckon ourselves alive unto God. We also reckon that we live through Jesus Christ. This is why we don't sin so that grace abounds. Because of Christ. 
You see, through Christ it reveals a closeness. What this means is that a Christian is in Christ. We are a child of God. We are positionally placed with Him. It's not a possibility on if you can have victory over in your life. It's a question on if you want that victory. Because the power is there, the guarantee is there, but we have to choose to accept it. This means that when we're in those moments and sin has overtaken us, that we don't go to pop psychology or we don't go to TikTok and see what everybody says. We go to the Word of God and we go on bended knee in prayer say, God, I'm sorry. He gives grace to the humble. He will lift us up. Is coming to Christ and coming to God and saying, not me, but your will. Help lift me back up. You see, in Romans 15, I think Paul sort of sums this up later in the letter, in Romans 15, on for those of us that are living in depression, anxiety, stress, the struggles, we're overcome with grief and guilt and strife, and, well, you know, you've lived in the world long enough. I think he gives the cure on how to practically overcome. And it's in Romans 15, verse number 13. Where Paul says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You have the power. I have the power as a believer in Jesus Christ to abound in our relationship with God. To have a victorious Christian life. To put away those old sins that keep weighing us down. To stop this sin repeat cycle that we see and we, we sort of clown the book of Judges because they keep, oh, you, you sin, you rebel, you repent, you get saved and delivered, you sin. How do you do that? You know, oh, we do that all the time. Right? We do it too. We are those people and the Judges. The only problem is, as opposed to being brought into bondage with the Amalekites or any of these other people there, we're bringing ourselves into bondage unto us. There's a big difference. We're doing it to ourselves. And so what Paul says here in Romans chapter 15, verse 3, that the power is if we are filled, filled with the joy and the peace of God. You see this word, Greek word fill in, in the Greek is plerau. And basically it brings to the mind the idea of filling up. To overcome a vessel, overfill a vessel. For instance, I want to go back to this. So with these leaves that represent, you know, the sin that we've committed, right? And we can't get it out. I want to sort of illustrate what this means on how to get these leaves out. Paul tells us, God tells us that the way to overcome is to fill ourselves up with the joy and peace of God. And so as we fill up this glass, those leaves no longer are stuck to the side, but now they're raising. They're no longer stuck. But I want you to see something. I can keep filling this glass 
filling this glass, making it overflow. But you know what? That leaf ain't coming out. No much how no matter how much water I pour in this glass, that water is not making that leaf come out. I have to grab it. We fill ourselves up with the hope and the peace of God. To overcome the sin and the strife. That will bring to the surface all of our struggles, all of our issues, all of our sins. God's not going to magically take them away. He's going to reveal them to us. And the next step, the next decision is yours. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to leave it floating at the top when the Spirit is telling you this is how you get back? Or are you going to, when you see it at the top, are you going to grab it and say, I agree. Let me take it out of my life. That's the choice you and I have to make. Because I guarantee you, if I leave the leaves in there, and I leave that glass there, eventually that water is going to evaporate. And when that water evaporates, guess what? The leaves are still there. And when that water evaporates and leaves are still there, it's going to get stuck to the side of the glass again. And we're right back at square one. God is not going to magically remove these things from our lives. Because of love and grace, He wants to reveal these things in our lives by filling us with the hope and peace of Christ so that we may deal with those things personally and individually. You see... Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Because the same God who did that for us is the same God that wants to do that for us. But the question is, do we want to overcome the struggles in our life? And to overcome this ebb and flow of the Christian life apparently. So what I would just encourage all of us to do this week and through this year, if you will, and next year and whatever, is to truly consider when you're in those low moments in life, depressed and anxious, and consider how far are you away from the vine. And if you're far away from the vine, then you need to fill yourself up. And when you fill yourself up, God will reveal some things. Then it's up to you. Will you let that water evaporate and the Holy Spirit, okay, you're not listening, so I'm going to go away. Or are you going to deal with that and then continue filling yourself up so that those leaves don't come back? That's what I'd want to ask and challenge. God, I thank you again for this morning and just this message of being burdened with the stresses of life and, and the struggles that we all face and the depression and Lord, we know that there's only one answer to it. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for the fact that Jesus' death brought us everlasting life, but it also brought us freedom from being enslaved and in bondage to sin. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just allow us to live in light of the victory, allow us to live in the power of the victory. And God, allow us to just allow the Holy Spirit to reveal where we need to adjust and change and remove and give us the ability to agree and to remove those leaves from our lives. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and we're going to sing just as I am.